Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're talking to a tech leader working in a very important social services arena, bringing tech to the task to make it more efficient, impactful, and at the same time, compliant. We talk about a number of topics and harvest some great takeaways. Some of those takeaways are... Number one, getting clear on the outcomes that you're trying to solve. Get really clear on them and then get agile with experimentations. Don't overplan it. Don't overthink it. Just get into the space and try stuff. And my second key takeaway is around creating hairy, audacious goals to bring about those outcomes. Get adventurous. Really think outside the box. Don't restrain yourself. My third key takeaway is around stop being data rich and insight poor. Use that data to get insights. Don't sit on that sea of data that you've got. It's got valuable business knowledge and also will impact your customer if you use it correctly. And on the note of data, create systems that are highly secure and open at the same time to share data for more innovative insights. And finally, my last key takeaway is around compliance. Don't let it stifle your innovation. Take different perspectives along the path of compliance. There may just be a better way, a faster way to get from A to B. So let's not delay. Let's get Gary into the space to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. Welcome, Gary. Welcome to CTO Confessions podcast. Thank you very much. It's really great to be here. Brilliant. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Well, I suppose who I am is a troubleshooter and a problem solver. And also what is known nowadays as a neo-generalist. My original background is systems engineering. I moved from that into sort of almost an HR function and consultancy. And then I've slowly drifted away from that because realising that with modern technology, we need to make sure how it works with people. Uh, That's took me from the post office through to consultancy, through a, a learning and development systems engineering point of view. And then to my current role, which is as an interim head of transformation and IT and the IT being a bolt on because I suppose everything that you want to transform nowadays touches or hits upon IT, either in a major way or a minor way. So that's my role. But largely it's solving everyday problems for people in the field or people working for an organisation. So the conversations we had offline around uh, the role that you have and your kind of passion, you've got a real passion around uh, technology and the way we go about it, um, not always solving the problem. We've kind of lost sight of what it's really about. Tell us more about that. Well, I've been working in Brighter Futures for Children. That's my role as transformation and IT manager. But when you examine all the IT and all the systems, you realise that they should be there to help people. They should have a real goal. And the problem with that goal at the moment is what we're ending up with. And if you look at the stats, social workers spend 80% of their time on the system and 20% of their time working with children. Now, that's crazy. Their job is to help children. 
Yes. So the need to reset that is to take Jim Collins's idea of a big hairy audacious goal, and let's say let's let's reverse that. Let's let them spend twenty percent of their time on the systems and doing the stuff that statutory stops us getting sued, mm. but do eighty percent of their time actually working with children. Let's stop this idea that what we've got is these huge systems that all we're doing is pouring data in. And all it does is go in, it keeps us from getting sued. You know, if, if if somebody decides to sue us, we can show that document X was filled out or meeting Y happened. Yeah. The problem we do in that, that what I'm finding is it just takes people away from the front line. As Brighter Futures for Children, our job's to help children. It's not yeah. to fill out systems. And my passion is how do we get these children who haven't really had the best start in life, either through, uh, well... Not not either through a fault, but through no fault of their own. How yeah. do we put more, them in front of people more often who can actually spend time with them and not sit there going, oh, I've got all my notes now. I now need to go back to the office and spend three hours transcribing it into the system. Yeah. We have every opportunity now with the sorts of tech that are coming along to actually put people in front of children, not in front of systems and screens. Brilliant. I love it. And that is that is a big, hairy, audacious goal and one with a huge impact as well. So um, it, it, it's interesting how technology has become the wrong focus. It seems putting all this data in. Is it systemic problems that cause this external factors or is it just people who create the technology? You have you have two effect, effectively competing demands. One is that the children need help. Great. The other one is really local government and government wanting to make sure safeguarding is completed but to do that what they want you to do is tick lots of boxes as i said x meeting happened y decision was taken here's z number of reasons about why that was done that's great but you spend a lot of time just putting that into the system yes and when you've put all this stuff in the system it's not actually helping the worker make any better decisions. What you have is a tension between we need to maintain the system and we also need to safeguard these children. But that focus means, yes, they're safe, but are we making their lives any better? And how the hell would we know? Mm. You know what's the feedback mechanism coming into the system that shows they've actually improved? Those decisions we've taken made their lives better. In most cases, we don't know that because it's a report in Word appended to their record. And then the social worker, in effect, moves on. Mm. Who's, who's, who's next in my 20 cases I've got? Who's well. shouting the most? I'm not necessarily going to go back to that report in three months' time when now they're urgent again and reread what the hell is happening. Yeah. And our systems are based on all this static data. And there's loads of data. It's just... There's mountains of it, gigabytes, terabytes, Google versus bytes of it. And <laughs> but it's not helping, you yeah. know, and then we're asking social workers now sit in front of the screen some more and put some more data in. Yeah. And that seems to me seems to be the wrong lens. The lens should be what are the outcomes we're trying to take? How could our systems support that in happening and keep that child safe? Yes. Without that change in focus, 
80% work with the child, 20% work with the systems. We are really struggling to make change in children's lives happen. Yeah, because I mean, it, I mean that subject of changing the lives of children, uh, especially you know um, ones that have kind of you know challenging journeys already, it, it's, it's a hard thing in itself. And technology doesn't st- that sound like it's making it easier. So I'm really curious, then, Gary, um, what what are the things that you're doing as a tech leader, a transformation leader around that to kind of make that smoother? I'm really curious around what what's what that. Well, what, what we've started to do is is look at all the systems and try and judge where the value is added. Right. So is the value added from a safeguarding statutory point of view? We've ticked some boxes. If it all goes wrong, we're not going to get sued. Or is it a system that is helping the social worker make better decisions? So predominantly at the moment, we've started to look at the data and what does the data tell us? Yeah. How can we remove workload to get to better outcomes quicker? So, for example, if you take... Uh, traditionally special education needs in terms of somebody who wants help and in effect money to pay for additional actions at school needs to undergo numerous assessments. However, if you read all those assessments, what you find is that there are characteristics to that data that means you can very quickly using something as simple as analytics and a little bit of AI. Now, what I'm saying is it's not a lot of AI. It's just enough AI to get to a better decision. Yes. We've taken that data and read it in. And we've read it in in the form of education, health and care plans. And we've read in uh, about three to 400 full plans. What that means is we've got to the point now where we have a lot of characteristics. And I've worked with two really good consultants in a company called Social Chemistry to do this. And what we've learned is if you analyse all that using cluster analysis, all children fit into about eight to ten groups. We've also identified that using the algorithm in the background, if you answer 20 questions... And they're 20 very specific questions. And let's be honest, this is a prototype and needs refinement. You can get to an answer in 10 minutes about what the needs profile is for that child. And if you put some costs in the background of of what those packages cost, what the budget is you're going to have to allocate. Now, what we're not saying is that that's the answer. What we're saying is if the social worker goes and sees that child, puts that data into the prototype profiler and gets an answer, it's there for them to then say, is that what I'm seeing? Or intuitively, should I add something to it? So it's not the idea that AI is making the decision. It's that AI is helping humanise the decision of the social worker so they can get to an answer and therefore outcomes quicker. Instead of taking, let's say in the first instance, 20 weeks to, to create an education, health and care plan as as the child goes through multiple assessments with the family. Yeah. And I think that intrinsically where I am at the moment and, and where local government is one of the major keys to solving that big, hairy, audacious goal I mentioned at the start. 
Yeah, I, I love your passion around. Um, I love the fact that you kind of mentioned something there because it's, it's very similar to my character is getting into trouble, you know, in service of what we're trying to achieve. It's not about ego. It's around uh, solving the problem, as you mentioned here, you know, making sure the children are getting their service. And uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I suppose, I suppose, TZ, one of the things I always quote is I'd rather be a pirate than join the Navy, which is a very famous Steve Jobs quote. <laughs> and look where Apple ended, ended up, you know, yeah. that's, you have to be a bit of a rebel if you're going to do transformation. Yes, I totally agree. You're not going to, if you adopt the normal approach, you might as well be in the Navy because it's continuous improvement. Yeah. Apply some, you know, apply some, uh, what is it, lean manufacturing principles, do this. And you do get better and you get 1% better every day. And that's not to be sneezed at over a year. You know, that makes you set 37.73 times better. Yeah, but at times you can't do that with some of these some of the old tech that's out there. You incrementally it means you you're pouring effort into something that five years time is obsolete anyway. Yeah, I, I love this. I, yeah, I love that analogy of a private. I think I'm a pirate as well, to be honest. Um, and <laughs> and what I'm really curious again, curious around this is that there's obviously systemic problems here, which are kind of driving the problem in some respects and driving the technology. Is there a, a feedback loop from your kind of tech understanding in looking at what you're trying to make work better that feeds back into the, into the legislation or the powers that be to kind of maybe refine what they're asking for? Yeah. I mean, what we, we, where this originally worked, where this work originally started was in Ealing council we decided to have a look at how AI might help in writing education, health and care plans. And in doing that, we realised that systemically, the systems that people are using are systems of record. You are still hoping that professionals will read X volumes of data and we'll be able to take that and be able to consider every factor to be able to make a decision or take something forward. But the only way that data comes out of that system is a series of files in Word or PDF or some notes on a text pad. Hmm. The advantage of modern tech is it can read all that and make suppositions and it can make lots of them. Uh, that works led us to the idea that there are there's a 21 dimensional hyperplane about where all these things cross, but you or I couldn't understand that. Hmm. But machine intelligence can, it can make sense of that. And, and the problem we have is at the moment, systemically what the government wants are records that prove right. something happened. What we're saying, it's no good having those, if they don't then turn around and help the social worker make a better decision somewhere. Yeah. Or give feedback that show things are improvement are improving. Sorry. And what we have at the moment is if you want to change between systems in our particular field, most of the systems are me too's. I too can handle all your records. I too can stack it so that it's nicely ordered. And you can find that note you made three weeks ago. There are very few out there who go, I've read all this data in this child's record. By the way, have you thought about this? Yeah. That is where AI can humanise that data force. Yeah. It's about helping the human, 
Yeah. It's not about replacing the human. No, that's right. It's, it, and this is a, a, an interesting topic that's come up a few times in um, in the CTO Confessions podcast series is that is, is, is technology to augment the human element. You know, it's, it's there to assist, to make suggestions. The decision, and, and, and important in this case, is done by the human being because they, they have a, the nuances and intuitions around and, and the feeling of what really is in the space and this kind of prods in that right direction. You know? Yeah, and I, and, I, and I've so, I, I now sum it up in four words: we are data rich, extrapolation poor. Mm, nice. We have loads and loads of data, but we really don't have any insights from it. Not ones that make a difference. Mm, yeah, I love it. I mean, it's a great, great work that you're doing, and I really hope that the. Uh, that your efforts uh, come about this kind of hairy audacious plan actually becomes a hairy audacious thing that's in the space, you know, kind of making a difference. Now, one of the things I wanted to speak to you around was your kind of leadership, uh, because being in this space of transformation and technology and uh, all the all the things that kind of gravitate around it, I mean, it must be quite tough to kind of persuade people and lead people to actually make these changes come about. What's, what is your style? How do you roll as a leader? <laughs> I suppose I like to be collaborative, but I also like to look at different fields. I encourage a lot of the team, here's a conference. I think you ought to go and have a look at this. You know, we're not going to change everything. If you, if you go to look in the same places, you find the same solutions. If you go and look somewhere different, whilst it might at first sight appear not right, you then get an insight that might say, but what if we do this? So I'm very open and very collaborative. I, I'm not unhappy to make decisions which I think are for the best, but I work hard to, pre to bring people into that viewpoint. Mm. But I think that's where it's key. So... You need a program that looks at transformation, but you also need to look at what's one percent every what's one percent better every day look like. Can we do that quickly and get it out of the way for a couple of grand, whilst we're still trying to find five hundred thousand pounds to do this big system that will actually transform how we profile the needs for children at school? Yeah. So I, I work on on those two levels, you know, and some people like doing the day to day. Some people like looking at the big, hairy, audacious goal and moving further. But it's about making sure your team has this inherent purpose to the things they're doing yeah. and to the leadership. So in the case of Brighter Futures for Children, is saying to people, how do we get social workers to work 80% with children and 20% yeah. with the systems? And of those systems... Can we get them during that 20% to be prompting the social worker on making better decisions for better outcomes? Yeah. And this is one of the things I find interesting around leaders um, because of purpose. I, I love purpose-driven businesses. I love purpose-driven leadership and teams. Um, how do you go? What's your tip around making sure that people align to that purpose? Because people get to get bored of hearing the same thing or they kind of they meander off and they kind of forget, you know? I think... It's making sure the people that you're working with understand why that's the purpose. You see often, you know, the values of an organisation and its goals and what they end up doing is becoming a poster on the wall. People mm. don't really live them. The one thing about that purpose is to talk about it often enough. 
within brighter futures for children it probably took six to nine months before i heard my own language being reflected back to me nice and i can say okay we're starting to embed this because i mean i'm hearing people talk about one percent better i'm hearing people my team who are who are fantastic talk about our big hairy audacious goal is <laughs> Nice. And when you've got things like that coming back to you, you know that you're starting to get purposeful, driven leadership. You yeah. know that people are climbing on board. And I think that that is the big ticket issue about leadership is how to make people believe in the purpose that you've got. And some of it's language, some of it's talking about it every day. And occasionally you have to run out, smack somebody around the head a little bit and run back and say, now let's speak about what you've just said. Mm. And and I say that with a laugh and a joke. I, I do yes. quite like having humour at work. Uh, but th those are the things you need to do to drive a purpose-driven business. Excellent. That's great. And as a, as a tech leader, a leader in this organisation, what's the thing that keeps you up at night? What's the thing that kind of makes you wake up sweating, going, oh, my God, no. What, what keeps me up all night is the thought that a social worker switches on their machine and it doesn't boot up. Or on one day, this bit of software will work and a day later, this piece of software won't work. Mm. Or they can't get in because they've forgotten the password. Or it just won't connect to the internet today because that's what it's like. So what keeps me awake at night is firstly that robustness of switching on the machine and it working. And then also that that data is safe and secure, you know, from an in information commissioner's office point of view. I really don't want to have to phone up and say, Sorry, we've had a data breach and our social workers managed to lose 2,000 children's records. Yeah. You know, we want, we want to be able to... But, but there's an oxymoron to that. I want that data to be exceptionally secure, even almost government service secure, you know, secret service secure. But I want it to be eminently open so I can send it to other systems mm. and use it to infer solutions. So there's an oxymoronic that... that, that, that people don't understand and that makes it harder is I want a very secure system, but I want a very open system as well. So yeah. that if I've got an API with a master key and that master key could be 312 bit encryption, but it gets the data out easy when I want to get it out. If mm -hmm. I haven't got that, that should be like Fort Knox. I love it. Um, but I love how you've kind of uh, created a similar kind of model for, for the application. And, and you're right. You know, at what point does an application at all, that is serving uh, people actually start to deliver more than more than just the kind of run of the mill. It's 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 it's, it's more than um, it's magic. You know, it becomes almost like magic. It's helping me do my job. Yeah, yeah, and it's not that we want it to do that straight off. I no. think there's a lot of prototyping that gets to a point where the people who use the systems are happy with the help they're getting. Yes, and that you know because what we're not doing is attacking their specialism. Yes. They, they may have spent four years, five years studying to be a social worker. They're doing constant courses. What we're not saying is we're replacing that expertise and that experience. What we're saying is let the computer, based on years worth of data, give you some help mm. because you can't remember all this. Yes. You know, you you have to have some help because this is a complex, wicked problem. How you help child A compared to how you help child B are two very different situations. Love it. That's brilliant.
And now coming on now from your leadership and uh, and and you know leading these ideas and and, and purpose uh, to creating high performing teams, teams that are actually going to deliver, knock it out of the park. You've got to mention a few times you've got a fantastic team around you. Um, I mean, what's the kind of tips that you have to 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 lead these teams? And what's the size of your kind of scope of your leadership? Is it hundreds? Well, I mean, we're a we're a we're a small team. Uh, there's about seven offices in total, which is supplemented occasionally by additional consultants. We are not experts in everything. The key is knowing somebody who might be mm. and bringing them in. But the team are quite uh, multi-skilled. Some specialise in particular areas. I'm not an expert in social work, but I have a person on the team who is just absolutely brilliant in that area and knows it like the back of her hand. I have somebody else who's becoming quite a fan with robotic process automation. Where could we use that? And so the team is multidisciplined. It has certain specialisms. But one of the key things is we talk all the time. So we, I mean, believe it or not, I've never actually met the team in person. Wow. As far as I'm concerned, they are a head and shoulders on a Zoom meeting. <laughs> uh, and that's just the impact of the pandemic and not being yeah. in offices. And the type of work we do in can be done this way. But therefore, I meet with them once every couple of weeks for a one-to-one -one chat. Mm. And what that elicits is a feeling of camaraderie from a distance. And we always have a bit of fun about it. And a bit of a joke about it, you know, what's your favourite cartoon character is a really interesting question. When somebody tells you it's Batman and somebody else says it's Penelope Pitstop. Who, and those those people who know who go that far back will understand the difference between those two characters. Yeah. But it's about then during that meeting, we always have talks where anybody can suggest a way of looking at the problem that's being looked at. We've had a very good discussion about... Uh, we look after so many children and there's an argument about can we get that number lower or is it more an issue about the workload that those children or any referrals coming into the system take? Can we reduce the workload to help the system and yet maintain that same number of looked after children? Hmm. Or should we rush to a situation where it's one child out, one child in? You know, we've got limited capacity, so how do we do that? We've had interesting discussions and communication tips where we're sharing ideas on is that number our number or is this a workload issue or is this a referral issue or is this something else? Mm. And the idea is we just don't close that down. We encourage that collaboration. And if anybody's got an idea, then bring it forward. But maintaining, you know, my job is that maintenance of but remember what our goal is. If that's an additional step that we're putting in the way of seeing the child face to face, then we need to rethink it. Yeah. What would help us maintain the big goal? And yeah. in doing that, I mean, part of it is then to say, okay, that's a great idea there. Now let's go and do a discovery. So we've changed the approach from what, what would traditionally have been in local government. There's still an element of, Prince to his best. So lots of planning, lots of work, lots of time planning to only get there and find the world's moved on by six months. Yeah. And so we adopt a more agile approach where we do a discovery that leads to a business case, that leads to an implementation, that leads to a close, that then leads to a rapid 
what have we learnt now? And can we take that learning somewhere else and do it again? Yeah. And once we've had success like that, you know, momentum is all, you know, high-performing teams are about momentum. They're about doing things, doing them well, getting them done, moving on. Mm. You know, sometimes it doesn't have to be perfect. No, that's right. It has to get done. That's right. And I love the idea of getting some of the uh, tools and and, and, um, new approaches uh, out into the system to see how it actually, how it works. I'm just, again, curiosity around compliance, because you can't be that agile because you can't try everything because it breaks the compliance kind of thing. It's a kind of systemic uh, handbrake, if you want to call it that. Yeah, but you usually have two points in compliance so you have you have point a and point b how you get from point a and point b is the question i'm often asking you know we do this now is that right Mm. could we do it quicker you know if there's there's a great there's a great set of questions that sort of tim ferris keeps going on about what a great question and one of them was if it were easy to get from a to b what would that look like (laughs) yeah you know and if, if getting from A to B ever goes wrong, what does going wrong look like and how do we stop that happening? Hmm. So using intelligent questions gets you to look at that problem of going from A to B with a different lens. And if you treat A and B as your compliance points, what you do in between to get between the two could be anything and everything. It could be nothing. Yes. It could be that that's just the process. Yeah, I like it. I love I love Tim Ferriss's stuff. It's uh, some brilliant stuff. I know we've had some conversation around books and stuff, and we'll have that again in a minute. Uh, are there any kind of communication tips? Because you kind of mentioned working in the remote world and, and and not knowing if the people that you're working with are just kind of head and shoulders. And so communication around that, have you got any tips around how you how you get that conversation? Because being in the same room, you overhear things. You, you get a feeling for what's in the room uh, um, and what have you. Any any advice to our tech leaders out there around that? Meet me often, talk about anything. And you don't have to be in the same room. Nice. And if you have a thought, don't 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 edit it. Phone up and say, okay, I've had this idea. What do you think? Yes. You know, Let it out. Based on your experience, what's happened? And and it's that thing with communication, if is little and often is better than all at once. So it's like annual. It's like the issue with annual appraisals. You can tell I'm going back into my neo generalist HR type role. I've never understood annual appraisals. Because yeah. you know you, you do something wrong in January, and I wait till December to tell you you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. You go, what was I an idiot over? Well, I've written it down for your annual appraisal, and in January you did this, and I wasn't very happy with it. <laughs> yeah. And I think you know if if you're going to communicate, communicate a lot. Yeah, but not always about work. Get to know people. There's always one thing people you will always have one thing in common with somebody that you can kick off a conversation about or close a conversation about. With me, it's normally about Wolverhampton Wanderers football. We won't go into that this season at the moment. Loads (laughs) of shots, no goals. Weird. <laughs> that's that's great. I mean, yeah, I think um, over communicating and then maybe having some kind of filters to the way you know what you're interested in, what you. But I do like that, and and especially around conversations, feeding the social system of the organisation so that 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 healthy relationship building kind of happens. I totally agree. Uh, it's not always about work when you're kind of creating these teams or you've got teams. I mean, what's the kind of uh, style and blend of your teams? Do you are they all in house or do you kind of have some outsourced or 
in we, we have a we, we have a small team uh, that is in sourced. It's there and it's in situ. However, what we look to do around that is to supplement it when we come across something that isn't in our area of expertise or skill set. So, so in terms of using external contractors, I prefer to do it largely because they bring areas of expertise I can't hope to gain by trying to do it on our own. You yeah. cannot do it all on your own. You know, there's this fallacy that there's this one guy working in a basement and all of a sudden, <laughs> Eureka, out comes this solution. Yeah. You know, in, in the areas we're talking about, they're varied. They have different skill sets. I need to tap into the best person I can get at the time. Brilliant. You know, yeah. And it won't always be perfect. No. You have to accept that somebody may come in and not fit. Yeah. But there are ways of saying, okay, this isn't working for me. Let's be adults about this and move on. Now look for somebody else. You know, I also find tapping up my own network, you will always come across somebody who can do what you want to do yes. through just talking to your network. Well, this person's just become available. They'd be ideal for what we spoke about last week. That's great. Have you got any kind of hints and tips for tech leaders around there, how you set up the foundations for growth? I think it's that, for me, in, in tech terms, it's, it's go and have a look at some of the things that are at the bleeding edge. Because in five years' time, there'll be disruption in your industry. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you don't understand it, as long as you take away a sort of kernel of how could that help me? How could that destroy my business? Or I'm currently investing in this technology, but that one's going to come along and it's going to kill us. Yes. Or it's going to offer a solution for half the price. Yes. You don't, you don't have to be investing in things to not go and have a look. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, right. And what, what my career has told me is go and have a look elsewhere. It may seem strange that you are looking elsewhere, but you often find something that you can use and apply in your field, even if it's a leadership technique or it's an actual system approach that says, ah, if we start from that area, we get a very different result than what we're doing now. Mm, like it. Love it. And as we come towards the end of our time together, Gary, unfortunately, um, um, got a nice kind of closing arc of questions for you. Um, what advice would you give to other aspiring tech leaders or transformationists out there to get into this industry? So I suppose if you want to get into this industry, yes, you need to understand computers and what tech can do for you. But you also have to understand what's the big, hairy, audacious goal you're trying to solve. Because I will hold my hand up and say, I'm not a complete tech expert. I'm very nerdy and occasionally go very deep into how can I use that? Why does that use that? But then I need to bring in an expert and I say, this is my idea. Can it work? Mm. The art of saying, I can't do this, but I need to find somebody who can. But you do still need that big original goal of what you're trying to do. And I think that that's really working in Brighter Futures for Children. Having that big, hairy, audacious goal means everything we look at says, are we transforming or is this a 1% better? And it fits in the two. I think the, the initial challenge I had in, in the role and in joining the role was we had lots of projects on not adding value. And the thing to do is 
avoid worrying about stopping things. Right. I've learned over time that the sunk cost fallacy is extremely true. People will still want want to shove money in a big black hole, even though the chances of getting something positive out of it are racing away from you yeah. or have long since passed. Yeah. But people will still want to do it. Still want to do it. And you have to learn to go, yeah, let's avoid that one. Let's stop yeah. putting money in that hole. Let's just stop. Take a breather. Now let's relook at it. And yeah. but people don't. They still keep going. Still it's, keep. Going. That's interesting. You know, you could have mentioned earlier on around lenses. I mean, if you if you looked at it from stopping it now, it, it would be a success to stop now. You know, yeah, you could see it as a yeah. failure, but actually, it's a success. Yeah. Saving a load of money, and we can allocate our resources to something else. But yeah, I, I find this one interesting as well, where people failure to uh, failure to press the stop button. You know, kind of thing. Here we go, Gary. I know we've mentioned a few books, and I'm, I know yes. you're you are a bookworm. You're a book uh, uh, enthusiast. And what three books would you recommend to our tech leader uh, audience out there? I suppose I suppose I've, I've got two. Uh, one, when discussing AI, everybody's frightened about AI. Yes. And I read "You Look Like a Thing" and "I Love You" by Janelle Shane. Oh wow! And yes. it. It explains the issues around AI in such concise and simplistic forms that you begin to understand that this idea that everybody talks about this singularity when machines become self-actualized and think for themselves is miles off. Mm. You know, maybe close for somebody like Alphabet or Google who's investing in all that. But it really gives you an idea about we can use AI to help people at the moment. It's not the be all and end all. It's also really difficult to get it to work out right. You know, mm. how do you remove bias from the system? That's one. The other one is, what do we do when machines do everything? Ah, nice. Which is great about the idea of how do we use technology to, I mean, the big underlying model is get ahead. So abundance, code, halo, enhancement, discovery. And it gives you ideas about where big data and algorithms are going. And that's really what started me looking at what, what are the big data pots we've got? What could they tell us about doing our work better? And I suppose the other one is an oldie but a goodie. Is it the Phoenix Project? Oh, yes. Which yeah. was the one about coding and developing and being separate and, you know, the need for two teams to work together. Yes. And I suppose a final one, if I can have a fourth, would be Go it's the, it, it, the Goal by Goldblatt, which is about production engineering. Yes, and the idea That's a really of a good batch, one. yeah, and the idea of a batch size of one and how to get it through the system. Because that's how I see a child. A child enters our system as a batch of one. Yeah. How do we get them quickly to the best outcomes? Love it. I love that. Great set of books there. You've just added three, two, two to my to my list, which I'm going to add. <laughs> Hopefully, it'll be helpful to the audience as well. But I, I love your. Um, uh, research on AI and what it really means, you know. Now, coming on to a question that I love asking, I always look, get excited about asking this one. If I was a tech genie, Gary, and I was going to offer your tech leadership a wish, what would you wish for? I suppose the big wish would be, from 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 where I'm working now, give me systems that are security level secure, you know, government security level secure, but a master key that makes them very open. Yeah. So I can interchange that data between systems really 
effectively and really securely to get the best benefit from all this data we've got sitting around in silos. And at the moment, it's just trapped because, you know, I want to write an AI to take that from our, our children's uh, management system into our education management system. But they're run by two different companies with two different design philosophies. Wow. I want that data to be incredibly secure. I don't want, I don't want, it, I don't want it to get out, but I want it to be incredibly open so I can put it in a third system to do things with it because that's what will give me insights. Brilliant. I love it. And it's a very similar issue to one of our previous guests as well around uh, transport. They've got lots of data, but it's owned by lots of different people and they just can't get hold of it. It's there. Yeah. It's waiting and it's screaming to let me help you, but people can't get hold of it, you know. So, and as a final note then, Gary, what would be your key takeaway to tech leaders and transformationists out there as we part company? I think if you're a transformationist, find your big, hairy, audacious goal that you can stitch your career to. I think as, as tech leaders, start thinking about incredibly secure, incredibly open as a way of operating because that will give us data that can be used. And the big, hairy, audacious goals often need lots of data to prove, can we really do this? Brilliant. Thank you for that, Gary. It's been great speaking to you. And I look forward to hearing about the success with the organisation and using that data to change people's lives. Okay. Thank you very much. Well, that was a great conversation. As mentioned in the intro, loads and loads of great takeaways. I particularly like Gary's comments around creating and acting on big, hairy, audacious goals. Just saying those words gets me all action man-like. So thank you again, Gary. I love your passion. I'm inspired by your thinking and I look forward to hearing about the outcomes that you and your teams have created with tech. Helping people focus on the purpose of their job and not ticking boxes and admin just for compliance. So I look forward to speaking again. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Labs services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.